episode 11, Continue the Journey. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we hear Dr. Paula John's perspective. For doctors who want a thriving practice and abundant home life, listen as your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, goes behind the curtain and interviews doctors and guests about real-world triumph, struggles, practical tips, and entertainment on this episode of A Doctor's Perspective. Good day, A Doctor's Perspective listeners. Really appreciate you. Really appreciate your time. I do request for feedback. You can hit me up on Instagram or on the website itself. Just let me know what you think. Where can we make some improvements? I'm always trying to grow and make it better. If you feel like you could be a good guest on the show, just give me a quick email. We can, we can talk. No problem. Today on the show, we have Dr. Paula Johns, Doctor of Optometry from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. She works in a rural-based hospital in New Mexico, and she is furthering her education, and she talks about that. That's why we call the episode Continuing the Journey, because we're always learning. We always have to learn more things, and, and she's very passionate about that. She'll give you a couple, of eye, a couple of eyeball tips and a very helpful app on your phone for business. Are y'all ready for another great interview? Before we do it, I was talking to people about personal branding, and I heard way back in 2007 or 2008, they were like, you know, you could have multiple clinics in your life, but you know what never changes? Your name. So I always had drjustintrosclair.com. And so I've had two clinics. You just have like a redirect to whatever your clinic name is. So you can advertise with, you know, biotechchiropractic.com and it would redirect to Dr. Justin Trosclair. But on Facebook, for some reason, I always kept it as a clinic. And so what I decided to do was combine. I had two old pages with different people on different ones and, you know, releasing a podcast, doing a book, speaking engagements. I was like, man, that's just too many things to manage. And then you lose people that may be interested. And I don't know, I've talked to people and they're like, well, you know, there's pluses and minuses to it all. So actually this week I, uh, I'm starting to combine the two together. And then uh, in about a, I think it's going to take about a month to kind of repost a few things, get everything situated, and then I'm going to just combine those two. And I don't know if you should do it. Like I said, there's pros and cons. Maybe ask your, your famous and favorite SEO person. But maybe that's something that uh, you can do. Now, I did hear about Facebook reviews to graffiti a wall, graffiti a page, if you will. So I screenshot all my Google reviews, Facebook reviews, Facebook five stars, put them together as a, you know, several different images, put them on my testimony page. And, you know, it looks like Facebook, you know, before you might have videos, you might have, you know, I have a lot of different styles on mine where it's like uh, alternate left and right picture with words, you know, with a, with a written testimony and then just one after another, boom, 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 side by side. But uh, so I combined them one big page. So I did that. The other day, put them all together, drjustintrosclair.com slash testimonies, if you're interested in seeing what that looks like. Anyway, I've heard good things from different salespeople and marketers. See what you think. Last thing, like I said before, we got merchandise. If you want to pick some up and support the podcast, go ahead and do that. Last thing before the interview, the Kindle version of today's choices, tomorrow's health, small tips to improve health, food choices, and exercise. Got the proof in. Just going over it right now. Should have it approved. Ready to go next week. Kindle's still available. And you'll notice the the end. You can still sign up for the free version if you like. Stay tuned to the very end for the travel tip. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Today on the show, we have Dr. Paula Johns, Doctor of Optometry from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. 
She is now working in the glorious overlooked state of New Mexico. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I like it there. I mean, it, there's a lot of snow and you just don't, I don't know, you just don't really think about New Mexico too often. But No, uh, New Mexico is beautiful. It's got all the different terrains. There's ski hills, there's desert, there's Santa Fe, there's rural areas. It's pretty great. You know, I had a random, when I first had my clinic in Colorado, it was straight out of Santa Fe Everything. The chairs had the classic mm-hmm. little pink triangles. After a year, oh, I got goodness. rid of all of that. So, you know, no offense to those who <laughs> like Santa Fe it, decorations, but I was not into it. It's an it. acquired taste, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Renew the lease and de- redecorate. Thank you very much. Oh, my goodness. Well, tell us, how did you decide to become an optometrist? Uh, you probably didn't know this, but that was my original plan. And then I did switched not over that. to chiropractic. So, yeah. okay. Now, back to you. Um, So in undergrad, I always wanted to be some kind of a medical professional. And for the longest time, I was pre-med. And then I realized about my senior year of college that I wanted to work on eyeballs, but I did not really want to do surgery. So I was talking to one of my advisors and she said, well, what about optometry? And I thought, oh, gosh, those people just do glasses all day long. I don't want to do that. Right. <laughs> and, then, and then I realized that optometrists actually do a lot more than just glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that was actually exactly what I wanted to do because I wanted to spend more time with patients and not more time in surgery. Uh, so it just seemed like a good fit for me. And uh, what do you do? What else do you do besides glasses for those who are just ob- oblivious to it? Yeah, so so I liken optometry to primary care eyeballs mm-hmm. and then ophthalmologist to more surgical care eyeballs. So as optometrists, we can prescribe pretty much any medication, treat ocular disease, glaucoma, uh, macular degeneration. We see kids, we see adults, uh, we see elderly people. And uh, in some states, we can do some forms of lasers and minor procedures, but no cataract surgery or anything like that. So primary care eyes versus surgical eyes is is my quick definition, I guess, of what optometry does. Makes sense to me. Do you have, I guess in general as an optometrist, but also but more specific to you, are there specialties, like subspecialties? Yeah. The, yeah. There's a, So you can do residencies in optometry. They're not required. Uh, similar to dentist, you can go into practice right after and and not have to do a year residency. Uh, But there's residencies in uh, vision therapy. You can specialize in ocular disease. You can specialize in pediatrics. Um, There's a lot of uh, traumatic brain injury stuff. So TBI, that's a a new thing, especially in the VAs. Uh, You can do primary care. There's a lot of different specialties. I think most people are probably still primary care, but there's a lot of, of different modes of practice that you can concentrate on if you want to. And I'm guessing you can knit, like when you niche down, you can market that and maybe work. um, Do you guys all work in um, private practice or are there hospital opportunities or do you work in like ophthalmologist offices predominantly or what's your view? Uh, I think there's a good mix. So in the past, private practice was where most people work. They would own their own private practices and and open it in a town and stay there for their whole career. Mm. Now there's a lot of hospital-based practice. So myself, I work in a small hospital. Okay. Um, there are 
VAs employ a lot of optometrists. So there's hospital practices with VAs. Um, and then there's a lot of optometrists and ODMD practices as well. Um, group practices, referral practices, things like that. So I, I would say now the, the majority of optometrists would still be in private practice, but those other modes of practice are expanding pretty rapidly. I'm curious, if you worked in a uh, multidisciplinary clinic, you know, the MD, DO, OD, is that going to pay you better than working at a uh, big box store? I actually don't know because okay. I have no experience with either form of <laughs> no, practice. No problem. Um, I, I know that the retail setting usually pays pretty well okay. um, because it's it's high volume uh, uh, and, and you're seeing a lot of patients. So usually private practice you'll make the most because you own your own practice. Right. Uh, and then the big box stores would probably be next and then hospital ODMD would be after that, but I really have no basis for saying that. That's just my feelings. <laughs> just my buddies are doing the same profession. Right. <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe in a hospital setting, you're probably going to do a lot more um, exam. Everybody does exams, but looking more for the glaucomas, looking for the retinal issues, more of the pathologies versus a private practice who kind of screens. But I mean, that's just me thinking that way. I don't know. Yeah. I In, in my hospital setting, we see a lot of diabetics. There's a lot of just sick people who come through the hospital. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of eyeball stuff going on. Um, private practices, though, depending on where you are. So say there's someone that is in a, a rural area in a private practice and they're the only eye care professional within, you know, an hour right. or so, then they're going to see a lot of stuff just like I do. Um, if you're a private practice in, you know, uptown New Orleans serving rich people, you might not see as much crazy pathology as you would elsewhere. Yeah. So it probably just depends on where you're located. Very good. Do you have any misconceptions about the profession that you would like to clear up right now? I think I already touched on one, <laughs> just that we just do glasses. Yep. yep. That's probably the biggest <laughs> one then, huh? I think that is the biggest one. I think, well, that, that was my perception before I decided to go to optometry school. So I can definitely understand that other people feel the same way. I think there's a lot of confusion about what is an optician versus what is an optometrist versus what is an ophthalmologist. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just want to clear up that we do more than glasses. Because the optician is the uh, glasses <laughs> and contacts person, right? Yeah, we we do. Optometrists do glasses and contacts. Um I say it's a big part of our practice, but it's not the only part of our practice. I thought, well, I mean, the optician, I thought was the person that uh, the optometrist passes you on to, to fit you in the office and actually sells you on what you need and everything. Yeah, the opticians are, are the experts in fitting glasses, measurements, things like that. I totally respect what they do because I'm super bad at it. So. <laughs> is that something they train or is it on the job training? Uh, it can be both. I, I think there's there's training programs. We can also on the job train as well. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, there there are cert- there are uh, certifications, para optometric certifications, which would be, um, I guess, like a physician's assistant for optometrists. Wow. And then um, there's also optician certifications as well. Okay. Now before the, before we went live, you mentioned you're getting a master's degree at Harvard. Tell us mm-hmm. about that. And why, why did you choose to go even further and how does that, how is that going to help you? Yeah. So I am in the process of getting a, a master's of public health and epidemiology through Harvard. Uh, it's, it's the first online on campus 
masters that they've done. So it's three weeks in the summer where you're on campus and kind of intense eight to five classes. Um, and then the rest of the year is online classes. So it's kind of a hybrid degree. Hmm. Um, the, the reason I chose to do it is because in my practice, working in a hospital in rural New Mexico, seeing a lot, a lot of disease, a lot of preventable disease, um, a lot of eye complications that happen from things like diabetes are completely preventable. Uh, if the diabetes is well controlled, which I'm sure everyone sees these things, these complications that can be prevented. So I was interested and I've always been interested in epidemiology, but I was interested in, in trying to learn how can I appropriately investigate these issues that I see in my practice Mm -hmm. and, and design studies so that I can make appropriate interventions to reach the people in my community to try and fix some of these disparities and, and misinformation and, and problems that I see. So the great thing about this program is that I can get a really quality education in epidemiology, mm-hmm. hopefully. <laughs> uh, and I can still keep my day job. I can still work in the hospital. I can still be in that community where I've built these relationships. I know people. I know who to talk to to get things done. I can... I can do that while I'm learning and we actually have a, a capstone project or a practicum that I'm working on right now mm-hmm. uh, where we're doing a project in our communities and then applying what we've learned in the program to uh, to a problem that, that we want to help in our communities. So for my capstone or practicum, I'm, uh, I did a, a chart review to look at diabetic patients that were seen in 2009 in the eye clinic, Mm -hmm. taking the subset of people that didn't have diabetic retinopathy, and then following them to see who developed retinopathy and who did not develop retinopathy in the next five years, and then doing an analysis to see what are the differences and what are the main risk factors for this progression. So it's kind of exciting. Wow. So that sounds like it's ongoing. (laughs) Huh? It's ongoing. What's that? It is ongoing. Yeah, I, I've done the data collection, and I am working on the analysis right now, so I can get back to you in about three months. Oh my goodness. Whenever it's due, just email me. <laughs> just the just, just the abstract. Let's not pretend I'm going to read the whole thing. Just, just the findings. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll do the cliff notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. So you can do like workshops, and you can do. Will you be able to do upper management type of stuff in ten years or yeah, whatever? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's definitely something that that I could I could do. Um, I'm hoping to go more of a research bent with it, mm-hmm. um, more applied research. But yeah, it, it's it's been a great program so far. Very nice. Yeah. Some of the questions I normally would ask don't really count because I'm sure you don't do much, much marketing uh, in a hospital mm-hmm. setting. But yeah, there are going to be doctors who are struggling right now, maybe just starting out or, or just burned out with whatever they're doing. Are there any ways to encourage them or some practical steps where they can maybe maybe get their foot in the door into a hospital setting or any advice for students to better, you know, just engage a little bit more maybe in the profession or set themselves up for a better career once they graduate? Mm -hmm. Um, I think if people are interested in being in the hospital setting, you really have to make connections when you're in school, trying to do rotations in those settings, um, trying to experience some of it before you graduate. Mm -hmm. Um, I know for myself, I did a rotation in the health system that I'm in 
uh, during school, and I did a residency in that same system. Um, that gets you connected and, and gets you kind of in. Uh, as far as people who are already in practice, who are wanting to transition to that type of practice, I don't really, it would be difficult, uh, especially if you're coming from uh, an outside private practice wanting to do more of that system-wide stuff. I don't really know what I would say <laughs> yeah. to that. <laughs> my, my view on what you just said would be, no matter what, you need to be building relationships in the community with ophthalmologists and with other providers in your community, regardless of where you're at. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's all about who you know. It really is. Yep, it really is. It totally is. Yeah, especially if you don't want to be um, in Birmingham. You're like, all right, well, um, I, re- right. I, yeah. <laughs> I rotated in Birmingham, but I don't want to live here forever. There's just too much pollen. No, definitely Too many not. trees. <laughs> Our mutual friend uh, who introduced yeah. us uh, to be on the show, our first guest on the on the a doctor's perspective, he was like, "Oh my goodness!" He's like, "I didn't have allergies until I moved to Birmingham." He's like, "There's just so many trees." There are so many trees, and they all bloom at the same time. Well, that's cute, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you kind of mentioned some some goals, but do you have any concrete five year goals or ten year goals that you uh, are actively pursuing? Well, obviously, graduating would be a goal mm-hmm. of mine. I will be graduating in May, oh, so which close. will be wonderful for from the master's degree. You know, I'd, I'd like to get in more of a leadership role in the hospital, uh, maybe a, a clinic chief, the optometry clinic chief. I am residency director right now, and I'm really enjoying it. And um, I work with students as well, and I really, really like that. So moving into more of a, a clinic management role, I think, would be a really great, great step. Okay. It's probably the next step. <laughs> yeah, I guess I've thought about getting a, a PhD. <laughs> That's awesome. But I think I might just be addicted to school. So <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> well, you're not the only guest who's uh, furthered their education past their doctorate. So. Yeah. Well, you, you just interesting. You said you, you uh, are resident chief. What do students struggle with when they're coming out of school and they're trying to get their hands wet? What, what are they uh, finding out? What are they struggling with? What do the, the residents struggle with? Yeah. Do they have anything that they just aren't equipped with and they just have to learn more on the, I on the job? I think the main thing that residents struggle with coming right out of school is um, time management and figuring out what are the appropriate tests that need to be done for this patient. Mm. I I think that residents tend to want to do everything so they don't miss anything. Okay. And, and one of the, one of the main things that I try and teach is you have to tailor your approach to your patient and what your patient is experiencing. So say your patient has this, issue that you go and read the textbook and there's 17 things that it could be. Do you really go and test for all 17 (laughs) or do you pick (laughs) the ones that might be the most likely and let's do those first? Right. Because no one wants to take 17 vials of blood to test for 17 different diseases whenever it's probably one of these four things. And so let's just test for these four and see what happens. And that's Um, the point of a residency, right? Yeah, no, for sure. To, to get that extra time of uh, guided learning and and have someone precept you and, and help you just figure out what actually needs to be done instead of doing everything. Yeah. Well, then that's the <laughs> skill that you do learn as time goes by. So mm-hmm. where do you see the uh, future of optometry going in the next four or five years? Yeah, I think that our scope of practice is going to expand a lot. 
uh, in a few states. Well, when optometry first started as a profession, we really didn't have any privileges to, to prescribe medications and stuff. And that's definitely changed now. Um, and now in quite a few states, because it's a state regulated profession, mm-hmm. uh, Louisiana, Kentucky, Oklahoma, we have um, laser privileges, modified lasers, which is is great. It's great for patients. We're trained to do that. Um, it's procedures that we can do in office so the patients don't have to travel you know, to a big city. Mm-hmm. Time out. What would you do with a laser? Um, well, so in Louisiana, you would be doing uh, YAGs, which is, uh, and some other things too, some glaucoma procedures. But basically, it's it's con- it's the front of the eye. So it's it's we're not doing any laser stuff in the back of the eye. It's it's more interior segment, front of the eye stuff. Um, but so after cataract surgery, there can be a, a kind of a film that will form behind the new lens in the eye that can make vision go cloudy again. Mm. So with lasers, we can poke a hole in that film so the patient can see through it again. Um, and then there's some laser laser procedures that you can do to, to help with glaucoma patients, mm-hmm. um, to help lower pressure without drops. Um, so there's some other procedures that we can do. So I, I see scope of practice expanding, that expanding to other states mm-hmm. as well. And then, you know, there's there's still some states where optometrists can't even treat glaucoma with drops. So wow. hopefully that will change. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> hopefully that will change soon. Um, it's it's it, it's just it, it's it's amazing the disparity in practice between states because we're all taught the same things, um, but based on where you live, your scope of practice can be very different. Yeah. Did you know a chiropractor? And I think. Wyoming, at least when we were in school, you could deliver a baby. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, if you're the last resort and you can't even find an EMS guy, maybe you should go there. But I was like, wow, okay, well, we are covered. Check mark. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting, though, the lasers. That's cool. As a hospital worker, you probably may not have this issue, but vacation tends to be hard to get as a doctor, even sometimes as a hospital, because you get tied up, you might be bonused on production, so you don't want to leave because then you miss that out. How do you find time to get vacation and what's your what's your philosophy on that? Yeah, I, I think vacation is a hard one, especially if you're um, practicing by yourself or if your clinic is short-staffed because you don't want patient care to suffer whenever you leave. Mm-hmm. For me, I guess vacation isn't much of an issue because I work in the government system and so we get pretty generous Vacation allowances. Right. <laughs> um, it, it's actually hard to take all of it because you get so much. Uh, all right. Next next guest. That's out of control. <laughs> I can't yeah. take all my vacation. <laughs> I'm going to shut this down. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should just stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> just can't take any more three-day weekends. I have nowhere else to go. <laughs> it, it's actually been really nice with my master's program, though, because it hasn't Hasn't been too much of an issue to take that three weeks at a time because I have enough vacation to cover it. That was actually a question so. I just avoided, but that so that's how you're able to do a three week off. I mean, I guess you can negotiate it with your boss if you had a boss, but if you're your own boss, three weeks that's a tough one. It would be tough. Yeah, there's there's a lot of people in my class that um, work in hospitals, and I know it's been a challenge for some of them to be able to get that block of time mm-hmm. off. And you kind of you have to plan way ahead to 
to, for myself, I had to try and see as, as many of my recall patients for June before and after. So my schedule was just completely, completely booked and overbooked for the weeks before and after to try and get everybody in so patient care didn't suffer. Um, you would think, but yeah, it, do you think the hospitals could be accommodating because you're developing your own skills that could actually benefit the hospital for later? Yeah, I think, I think they realize they see the benefit in it. And my boss is very understanding in that he encourages um, projects and, and he sees that, that this can can help the patients and help the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you didn't have an, an administration that supported that and understood the the value in it, I think it would be very difficult to do a program like I'm doing. Right. But there are other programs. Mm-hmm. No, there are. And there's definitely some some online only programs that would work too and that shouldn't shouldn't impact or shouldn't keep you away from clinic as much as as mine did. But I like that blended cohort because then you get to know your classmates really well and and make those connections, which is really great. Absolutely. So we're switching gears. If you haven't noticed, we're going to go into more of a personal side of the interview. Mm -hmm. Okay. Besides work, what else preoccupies your mind? Any kids, hobbies, volunteering? Yeah. So I recently, well, I started running when I moved to New Mexico. Um, I'm originally from Louisiana and then was in South Carolina and then Birmingham. And as you know, the humidity in all of those places is absolutely killer. <laughs> Running in that area is just so hard. It, it is not pleasant to run at all. Um, so being in New Mexico where we're at higher elevation and there's zero humidity and it's nice and cool in the mornings, um, I took up running. I just ran my first marathon in December. Congrats. So that, thank you. It was very exciting. Wait, did you finish? It was my first and only. Okay, then congratulations. You got your medal. I did. I, I wasn't I wasn't breaking any land speed records, but I finished. <laughs> Where'd you go? Um, it was in Kiowa Island, South Carolina. Well, you went back to the swamp, mm-hmm. though. Yeah, it, I I went back to the swamp. But you know what? After you've been running at at sixty five hundred feet, running at sea level uh, is pretty easy. Hey, I got a question because I'm not a runner. When I would run in the in the cool, it felt like my throat would get so dry, and I would want to just I'd catch a cold. What do you do? Do you just get used to it, or do you wear like a little mask, or what? Uh, I run with water, so I'll take a sip of water when my throat starts okay. to feel dry. Uh, I th- I think being out here, you get acclimated to the dryness, and so mm-hmm. it doesn't bother you as much. Actually, when I run back at home, it feels like I'm swimming because it's it's so humid and it's it's hard to breathe. <laughs> and you feel you feel like you're running so slow, and then you look at your time and you've run like the fastest mile you've run in in two months because of the. It's so much easier to breathe at that lower elevation. You're getting so much more oxygen. Um, Your Olympic training, you didn't yeah, know Yeah, I know. That's what the Olympic trainers do. They yeah. train at elevation, and then they run at the lower altitudes. So, yeah, un- unknowingly, I'm, I'm training like an Olympian. <laughs> Not running like an Olympian. Hey, I got a question. Here's an eye tip. You go to Colorado. You go mm-hmm. to New Mexico. It's dry. Maybe you're used mm-hmm. to the, the humidity. Does that affect your eyes? Is there ways to remedy that if you're just getting scratchy or itchy? Yeah, I think eyes do get drier out here for sure um, just because okay. there's no humidity at all. And actually here in New Mexico, allergies mm. can be really, really bad because um, there's lots of grass and stuff that blooms. And so you, you think in the in the desert or in the dry areas, you're not going to have as much allergies, but um, because of the grasses and things, it can be pretty intense. 
Is it better just to take an allergy pill or like some sort of special drops? Yeah, so they have a lot of over-the-counter allergy drops. Uh, Zatador is one of them. Okay. That one's really good, twice a day. Um, and then for artificial tears, I would recommend uh, either non-preserved or ones that have a disappearing preservative, like uh, Genteel or Theratears, if you're going to be using them chronically, because there's preservatives in the tears that can irritate your eyes if you're using them long-term. Mm-hmm. So avoid visine, I guess, would be my main main recommendation. Boom, called you out. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Uh, besides running, anything else? Um, let's see. I do enjoy camping and outdoors activities. I recently started skiing, which is great because I live next to a, a ski area now. Um, yeah, I'm not very good. A Southern girl skiing isn't necessarily a very pretty thing, but I did my first blue last weekend. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident about myself. Nice. <laughs> I think the hardest part is getting off that lift sometimes. Oh my gosh. Getting off the lift is the issue. <laughs> <laughs> I've fallen before. I was like, I'm an idiot. I'm so sorry. Please don't run over me. <laughs> it's fun, though. It's It's been really fun to learn. That's good. It's never too late. You're not married, right? No. Okay. People normally have like some kind of relationship advice. A lot of doctors end up getting divorced mm-hmm. and things like that. So I'm just curious. Maybe, you know, we have single people, too. Do you want to offer any advice or any kind of um, what you're seeing out there as a single woman who's a doctor and... Uh, Maybe advice for other women that are in the same kind of field as you? Dating advice? Yeah. What do you see? <laughs> it's difficult. <laughs> I think difficult. I think for women who are medical professionals to um, find find people that understand and respect kind of how demanding our jobs are. Same with men, I'm sure, but it, it seems to be especially hard for women because we we t- our, our jobs take up a lot of our time and we're... We're highly educated, so that automatically kind of cuts the dating pool a little bit. (laughs) So, I don't know. I guess I would say keep on keeping on, but I haven't had much luck myself, so (laughs) I'm probably not qualified to give any advice. (laughs) Uh, That's fair. Well, like you said, you're in a rural town, so that um, makes it more challenging, I would think, too. Yeah, I think that, that does add a layer of difficulty to it. Any advice for the guys trying to approach a smart lady? Uh, don't be intimidated, I guess, would be my main advice. Okay. Hey, where do y'all hang out? Uh, where do the smart girls hang out? Y'all, are y'all at the club? The smart folks? On, on Friday nights? Oh, yeah, for sure. We're getting wasted in the clubs. That's right. <laughs> uh, I'm leaving this in, too. <laughs> okay, so moving on. Do you happen to have any kind of morning routine or a lunch routine that just grounds you for the day or gets you excited? Yeah, so I actually, I try to run first thing in the morning, um, mm-hmm. get up around 5.45 or so, and go for a few-mile run. And then I take my dog for a walk after that as a cool down. And then I make my French press coffee and eat my breakfast. I have to take my time in the mornings. I can't be rushed, or it just feels like my whole day is off. So, But it, it's not, it's nice to get that exercise in first thing because... Um, if you don't, then it does for me, if I don't do it first thing, then it doesn't get done. Um, and I find that that helps a lot and in, in helping to keep me balanced. That's a true statement. It's just the nighttime. It gets, it does get away. Like something comes up, your friends want to go out and you're like, well, that's supposed to be my gym time. But now I'm eating nachos. You know? mm-hmm. What kind of French press do you use? I'm curious. What kind of what? French press. Oh, anything I, specific or just a generic? I think it's a Bodum French press. 
Bodum. It's whatever's the cheapest one on Amazon. I love it. <laughs> Very good. Do you I, get grindsy? I, I don't. I, I've been told that I need to grind my own coffee, but I haven't done it yet. Mm. And what about in the, uh, do you get that thick coffee grind on the bottom of your cup at the end, or have you mastered not having that? Oh, I just don't drink the last couple sips and, and pour it out. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's how I, I solved sw- that I, problem. I quit because of that. I was like, I'm tired of this. <laughs> It is kind of nasty, that sludge on the bottom of your cup. Yeah. No, thanks. Maybe that's where all the good pep is. I don't know. All right. Last couple questions. Do you have a favorite book, blog, or podcast that you secretly love or one that you would completely recommend to everybody? Well, I just started reading a book on urban planning that I really like called Happy Cities. I'm trying to remember the name of the author. Um I'll Google it. And okay. Yeah. You Google it and see. Show notes it. Um, but it's kind of about uh, urban planning and how it influences our lives. And it's, it's really interesting. So I would recommend that. Very good. Any uh, favorite apps on your phone? Everybody seems to play on that thing. All oh, day. my gosh. Yes. I actually have an app that I absolutely love. And I use it all the time for work. It's called Doc Scanner. And it will take a picture and then convert the picture to a PDF. I'm sure there's other apps that do this besides the one that I have, Mm -hmm. but it has been a lifesaver so many times because I don't, it's hard to get to the scanner at work because there's like one scanner for the whole hospital. And then, uh, but having this app on my phone is perfect because I can just shoot a picture of whatever I want to scan and then email it to myself for my phone as a PDF. And it's, it's life changing, truly life changing. It's been fantastic. I second that. I use a different uh, app like you said there's other apps and i mean you know i'm in china so i get something like hey uh we got this tax thing that you need to sign i'm like oh great and then so yeah. i'm able to <laughs> do it that way and then it's easy it's easy it's quick and like i mm-hmm. said it's perfect quality they have some kind of technology that unfuzzes it people wanted to get in touch with you maybe to ask questions about hospital life or, or anything like that how can people get in touch with you um they could probably email me at Paula Lynn Johns at gmail.com. L-Y-N-N-J-O-H-N-S. Mm-hmm. How about this? Do you have anything that you would like to leave with our guests? Encouragement, words of wisdom, or just anything fun? Words of wisdom. I guess my words of wisdom would be to make sure that you schedule downtime. Because if you wait for it to happen, it's not going to happen. So you have to put it into your schedule, for myself at least. Um, to make sure you don't burn yourself out. Do you travel a lot to uh, other states or do you kind of stay local? Um, I try to do a couple of international trips a year. Um, And then this year I've gone skiing in a couple different places. I try to go home to New Orleans a little bit. Um, So I I try to keep moving. But Mm -hmm. um, but I think the international trips are probably one of my my first priorities because I like to to keep traveling. So this year I went to – Keycocker Belize and did some scuba diving with a friend. Um, and then I went to Georgia, the country for about a week. And then I spent some time in Istanbul and that was really cool. Uh, so those are the places I've been this year. This year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I was I was in Istanbul right in between the, the airport bombing and the coup. So I left, I left like a few days before the coup happened and got there a few days after the bomb, the airport bombing. So I, I timed it pretty well. What do you think? I mean, I, I this is more of like a personal thing for me, but I've thought about going there. Is, is it pretty nice? You still felt safe even with all that craziness? I loved it. I, I felt completely safe. Yeah. I, I think 
it's an amazing city and I would highly recommend that you go. It was awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of Islamic architecture, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they can do yeah. it. They know what they're doing it, over there. It's, it's very Middle Eastern, um, but it's a nice mix of, of Middle Eastern and European. It's pretty cool. Did you have to wear anything special so that you wouldn't get harassed or anything like that? Oh, no, no, no. No, they're cool no. with it? No, definitely not. I was in normal clothes. Yeah. It's a, it's a very European city. All right. Well, Paula, Dr. Paula, it's been a real <laughs> pleasure getting to know you, yeah. laughing a bit, and exploring yeah, optometry thanks. and your journey. I really appreciate you coming on. All right. Thank you so much. Dr. Paula, thank you so much for being on the show. I got some good laughs. I hope the audience did too. Uh, you're fun. Enjoy the running and graduating and the travel tips and much luck on all the travels in the future. Congratulations on that. I think uh, maybe that's just where I'm at in life. I enjoying, I'm enjoying being able to take vacations and experience that part of the world. And you're still young, so that's even better. You'll be able to see a lot of things by the time you get old. It's never too late. Travel tips coming up soon. You can find all of today's show notes at a doctorsperspective.net slash one one. Just want to give a general reminder. The ebook, when it comes out, if you were to go to doctorsperspective.net on the right side of the screen, on a pop-up on the bottom of the screen, there's all kinds of places where you can put your email. And when that comes out for a limited time, I can send it to you for free. It's not only a book about nutrition and exercise, it's actually like blueprints. If you haven't really been able to stick to a diet much in your life, if you haven't really done much exercise and it's kind of a daunting and you get demotivated quickly, I have steps, implemental steps for you to take to make big changes overall, but small changes to start with to get accustomed to maybe eating less food, to how to build up to 20 minutes of exercise and things like that. So if you're interested, sign up because it's not only something that you could implement for yourself, especially if you are um, not in peak health, but also it's something that you can either give or sell to your patients so that they can have a blueprint for themselves. You can find me online on all the popular sites. The easiest way to do it is go to a doctorsperspective.net. And if you look at the top right, there's all these little social media icons. Just click whichever flavor you like best and it'll send you directly to that page. You can subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, Instagram, etc. I do a lot of travel photos on Instagram, so I hope you like it. As well as Flickr has a wide variety of those same pictures, but a lot more. And of course, I'm very active on Facebook. So connect, comment, and I will respond. Today's travel tip since she mentioned traveling all over the world, is to try and find local airlines in that country. I want to say, at least they used to be, Ryanair in Europe would give you really cheap rates. Just like if you're listening to this in another country, Southwest Airlines. You're not going to find them on Kayak or the big search engine, so you have to actually go to their website. Uh, one that I use here for Asia travel is Ctrip. It is uh, Chinese-based, but also has English, and you just get really good local flights for good prices and um, when I've compared them before, it just feels more, I just feel more comfortable booking through the sea trip when I'm doing my Asia travels, when I get a fancy receipt as well. So that's always helpful. But do yourself a favor, spend a little extra time. If you're going to do, if you're not taking trains like through Europe, you may look at local airlines. Have a good day. We just went hashtag behind the curtain and this episode has come to an end. I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life. 
please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends, sharing on social media, and visit the show notes on adoptorsperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest. A sincere thank you in advance. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.